And welcome to the first ever episode of HodgePod with Rob Fredette. And I have a special guest today. It's Dr. Keith Wood. And he wrote a terrific book called Memphis Hoops, Race and Basketball in the Bluff City, 1968 to 1997. This is a terrific book, which looks back at how Memphis State basketball and a local superstar, Larry Finch, galvanized the city to the 1973 National Championship game against UCLA. And this was five years after the assassination of Martin Luther King here in Memphis at the Lorraine Motel. And Dr. Wood, or Keith Wood, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Rob, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be inaugural guest thank you. Uh, of the podcast. <laughs> and that's big time. Truly appreciate it. And uh, there's nothing more I like doing than talking about a little Memphis hoops. So uh, let's jump right in. What do you got for me? All right. So basically, we all know, first of all, you wrote the book, but uh, what do you currently do now? You're a teacher, a history professor, a history teacher at Christian Brothers High School in Memphis. Is that correct? That is correct. I teach uh, 11th grade U.S. history uh, at Christian Brothers High School, and I also teach a class called Facing History in Ourselves, which is about the Holocaust. Uh, but I, I just love uh, getting an opportunity uh, to share how uh, sports uh, can really and, and really has shaped our history. And uh, I try to get some of my students periodically throughout the year to, to make these connections mm-hmm. uh, that sports doesn't sit on its own, uh, that it also um, describes and, and it gives us some insight into who we are uh, in our history. So I just think it's a, a great way uh, to engage students and uh, to get them a little more excited uh, about coming to history class on a daily basis. Well, I love history, whether it's uh, political history or just sports history or just history in general. But judging from the book, I love basketball, and I can tell that you love basketball. So what was your background in basketball now that you've written the book? Uh, what did, have you coached? Have you uh, done other things with basketball? Right, Rob, thank you. Um, well, no, first, uh, I'm a native of upstate New York, grew up in Schenectady, New York, and same hometown as Pat Riley, and where I'm from, uh, basketball reigned supreme, right? So uh, moved down to Memphis in 1994, uh, take my first teaching position uh, here in the city of Memphis at um, Sheffield High School. And uh, then uh, for 14 years, I was a head basketball coach, five years at Sheffield, and then nine years at Millington Central High School in the county. Got it. And so really uh, my passion uh, for basketball played itself out. I had a great opportunity uh, to work with a nar- large number of young men uh, in the city of Memphis, uh, both in the inner city and in the county. And, uh, you know, when you get to Memphis, you know, I'm always a big uh, Syracuse guy coming from upstate New York. Yes, sir. When, when my kids first got down here, like, Coach, it's all about Memphis basketball. <laughs> and at first I was a little reluctant. Uh, but as I became part of the community, uh, part of the Memphis community, grassroots level, right, uh, working with the kids, AAU basketball, Bobby Dodd here in the city of Memphis, Keith Easterwood, uh, just became more and more entrenched and, and in love uh, with the game of basketball. So really uh, for uh, somewhere 17 years or so uh, as an assistant head coach, had a, had a great run uh, coaching basketball here in the city. And then in 2011, uh, when I moved to Christian Brothers High School, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just turned to just teaching. And, and I began my doctoral studies uh, over at the University of Memphis. And, and that's how I come upon the book uh, with Larry Finch and Memphis Hoops. Well, I, I read the book and I love the book and I love basketball. 
and I've been in Memphis for 23 years and um, I just, you know, the Memphis fans are rabid about the Tigers. And now that we have the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, recent success, they've been in Memphis for over 20 years. Uh, I would have to say Memphis would be one of the few towns in the United States where bas- pro basketball and college basketball are pretty much an equal, probably you could say an equal fit, but they go hand in hand and they kind of support each other. I don't see that in any other area in the country. Do you? Well, you know, I know uh, for me, uh, New York City is, is the, uh, you know, the, the Rucker, right? So the center mm-hmm. of, uh, of basketball, um, for me as a child, was always the city. And the kids coming out of the city uh, were the guys that you emulated uh, in that way, like Pearl Washington and Syracuse uh, when I was a youngster. But, but I think here in Memphis, and, and I really think this is attributed to, to Larry Finch, right? So the career... Uh, and the decision that Larry Finch makes to stay home, right, and, and play it at Memphis State uh, following his senior year at, at Melrose High really changes the paradigm. You know, before 1969, when Finch makes this decision, Memphis sees itself as, as a football town, really, and it's, its long desire to be in the SEC uh, is really at the forefront uh, of Memphis sports. Yet, uh, when this young African American uh, star uh, makes a decision, uh, which is actually, you know, if you go in the book, uh, this community, Orange Mound, uh, was divided over whether he should stay home uh, because of some racial issues uh, in the past over at Memphis State, right? So mm-hmm. when Larry makes that, Larry Finch makes that decision to stay home, and uh, and Memphis has, has been, if you follow Memphis basketball and you're an avid Tiger fan, uh, you know, uh, Larry Finch put a fence up around the city when he started coaching as an assistant, right? And then as a head coach and uh, the best players in the city of Memphis stayed at home and played for Memphis State. If you're a kid growing up, like many of my kids that played for me at both Sheffield and Millington, your goal uh, is to wear that uh, blue and gray, be Tiger, right? And so uh, I think that's attributed to Larry Finch. And, and it's, you can see that today. Uh, when you watch Penny Hardaway, I mean Penny Hardaway, uh, he wears his shirt on, on his, his heart on his on his sleeve, right? And so it's because of what Larry Finch did for Penny Hardaway uh, when he was a young man. Penny graduates from Treadwell in, in right. 1990, right? And then he has to sit out because of Proposition 48. But Larry Finch just takes his arm, puts his arm around Penny, and uh, is a mentor to that so you know our kids today when they watch memphis basketball you know they they remember you know a uh, little penny the chris rock ads and you know penny and, and Shaq and orlando and if not they've got youtube right so uh they attribute memphis basketball to penny hardaway but if you watch and you listen carefully to penny what you'll find is penny understands that he comes from a long line and uh what larry finch did for this city uh, he was just someone that was able to ride the coattails of what Finch did in this city uh, to bring Memphis basketball where it is today. Yeah, and Larry Finch, when he came up uh, through uh, just learning in the book, I learned so many new things about uh, just Memphis State basketball while reading the book. Um, he was an extremely hard worker uh, off the court and on the court, but uh, on the court he was relentless, wasn't he? Oh yeah, like he, he is. Um, you know, when uh, you talk to Coach Bernie Sales, and I, and I and I make sure that Coach Sales is the godfather of, of basketball coaches here in the city. Like, if you coach high school ball, everybody knows who Coach Sales is. And and, and 
Coach uh, Larry Finch played for Coach Sales. Uh, Coach Sales was an assistant at Melrose. Mm-hmm. But you know, when he talks about Larry, one of the things he said was Larry just didn't play the point or the two guard. He just played guard, right? And so uh, growing up on the, on the hard courts, you know, uh, of Orange Mound and then playing at Gaston Community Center over in, in South Memphis, you know, you get you get uh, a feeling of, of what urban basketball is like in the city of Memphis. And, and Larry Finch brings his game. You know, you're going to have to, you know, you, you had to you'd be ready to play when, when Finch stepped down the court. And, um, you know, I think that's just a great piece. I think, you know, uh, early in the book, um, I love the story of Johnny Newman, right, over at uh, Overton High School, uh, crossing the railroad tracks in the, in the late 60s and, and going over – uh, with Leonard Draper over the Gaston Community Center and then playing ball over there, right? So uh can't really find the competition level that he wants to, maybe at the Rome Fieldhouse, you know, mm-hmm. where the brother played at, at Memphis State. And so he, he jumps over into Orange Mound in South Memphis uh, at a time when a lot of white basketball players aren't really crossing the railroad tracks, right? And uh, Newman and Finch develop a relationship. And, you know, when I was talking to Vicky Finch, and and she we mentioned Newman. She goes, man, I, that was just Larry's good friend. You know, she, he just saw him as a guy that could play, and their love of basketball game created a friendship that lasts a lifetime. And so, uh, I you know that's what basketball does. Basketball has the ability to bring us together. And you know, when you step on the court, you can take a lot of these racial issues and you can throw them out the window. You can just find out can you put the ball in the hole. And I think that's just a great part of Finch's story uh, for the city of Memphis at a time when Memphis needed a young man like Larry Finch to bring us together. Yeah, and you mentioned Johnny Newman. And uh, while reading the book, they played at the Mid-South Coliseum, the city championship game. And one thing that I could not believe in 1969, that game had 10,000 people at the Mid-South Coliseum for a high school game. I don't think I've ever heard of a high school game having 10,000 people, ever. Right, and so... You know, um, it was only recently, like the 69 version of the MIAA City Championship game was only the second uh, occurrence, right? So uh, in 1967, there was the Negro League champion and there was the Memphis City champion and there the White League champion, and they never played each other. And so um, the name Perry Wallace uh, up at Vanderbilt was the first African-American to go there, graduated from Coyne mm-hmm. High School in Nashville, Procoin, and, um, you know, Treadwell, Coach uh, McLean over at Treadwell, uh, and Treadwell was an all-white school at the time, and he said, look, he goes, if we're going to compete, we got to start playing the guys uh, that are here in the city on the other side of the tracks because they're playing in Nashville, and if we're going to win a state championship, you know, and that was huge, right? So you now have coaches, um, Coach William Collins at Melrose, and uh, Lloyd Williams over at Hamilton, uh, Coach Clayton at Frazier. You've got white coaches and black coaches coming together and creating uh, this league that gives white and black kids a chance to play each other in Memphis to determine who's the best, right? And so uh, Finch and Newman uh, in the 69 game, remember you're talking about less than a year after Martin Luther King gets shot, are Mm -hmm. bringing the city together. When you talk about 10,000 people, there's 10,000, uh, you know, there's 5,000 white folks supporting Overton High School, 5,000 black folks uh, supporting Melrose High School, and they're all at one place. You know, you can look through the newspapers, the crescimeter, uh, the commercial appeal, the entire season. There's no racial issues when these schools are playing each other, 
and you know you're you're Overton and you have to go to Southside or you're Hamilton and you have to go play East High School, right? There, there's no racial issues that that play out, and and basketball becomes so big uh, with Johnny Newman, and in fact, you know uh, Adolph Ruff was recruiting Newman uh, to Kentucky. And he actually point blank said Newman was better than Pistol Pete Maravich at the same stage of his career. Wow. Right. So that's how good Newman is over at Overton High School. And, you know, Finch, he's getting he's getting recruited. He's an All-American guard. Right. So he's getting recruited by UCLA, Tulsa. Um, you know, there are some quality Oklahoma State is in. Um, Memphis State obviously is going to be involved in that. So you're talking about two prolific All-American guards one from Overton High School in East Memphis, an all-white school, and one from Orange Mound, Melrose, in an all-black school. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's no hitters. There's no racial animosity. There are three radio stations that are covering the game. Uh, names you may have heard of before, you know, the sports community. Woody Page, uh, he's yes. covering the game. Fresh Demeter. Um, uh, Paul Feinbaum, actually just got a chance to talk to him recently. Uh, he couldn't get into the game. Uh, we're talking <laughs> about how so i mean you're you know at, at this point uh what johnny newman and, and larry finch are doing is they're setting the bar incredibly high and in fact even when i got down here in 94 95 to get to the city championship game and to play uh whether they were playing at the mid-south coliseum the 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 pyramid uh you know that was the game you know uh the state championship was nice but the city championship meant more and, and that's because of what these guys are doing. And it's just, it's shifting this paradigm away from football and towards basketball in the city of Memphis. Wow, that's incredible. So, yeah, I think there are two things that bring people together, music and sports. And sports is the ultimate way to bring people together. Um, I grew up in Boston in, in the early 80s. This is um, just to tell you how prevalent Memphis State basketball was. Um, Boston, of course, is the pro sports town. Uh, if you're a college in Boston, you're very lucky in the early 80s to get any kind of publicity. Uh, right. And the Celtics, you know, were in their starting their run there with Larry Bird and uh, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale. And I remember to this day uh, going in on a Monday morning at high school and then talking about Keith Lee and the Memphis State Tigers. And I remember the old Mid-South Col- from the Mid-South Coliseum, we were talking Memphis State basketball on a Monday morning. And this is up in, you know, in the uh, New England area, Boston. And uh, that's how relevant they were on uh, primetime TV in the early 80s on CBS. And I, I remembered that vividly, Keith Lee. But it just goes to show you what Larry Finch did for the city of Memphis. Right. And, you know, I think uh, when, when you start talking about Keith Lee, you know, you're talking about, you know, you're jumping ahead a little bit. Um, yes. And you're talking about like um, in 79, right? Um, Dana Kirk uh, takes over the basketball program. And uh, he brings back Larry Finch. You know, an interesting story with um, Dana Kirk was when Dana Kirk was applying for the job, uh, he was going to replace Wayne Yates. And Wayne Yates' assistant was uh, Bernie Sales, who had been on staff as the first African-American assistant at Memphis State. And so the three guys that are up for the job in 79, to show you how big Memphis State basketball is, Larry Brown, wow, Dana Kirk, and um, – and uh, Verdi Sales. Those, those are the three guys that are on the table, right? And so the AD of Memphis State at the time is a guy by the name of Spook Murphy, uh, legendary football coach, right? And Spook makes it very clear 
Murphy makes it very clear that it's going to be whoever gets the job is bringing back Larry Finch because Finch means so much this city. Finch had gone down with Gene Bartow down to UAB, and Murphy was like, we're bringing him back to Memphis because he is Memphis basketball. And so uh, Larry Brown and Dana Kirk are really one-two for the job. Verde Sales gets the obligatory, we're going to interview an African-American because we have to, but we're really not ready for a black guy to be coached yet, interview. And uh, and he understands that, right? Um, But when it comes down to it, Larry Brown and Dana Kirk are sitting there, and Larry Brown is like, yeah, I'll take the job. And when Murphy says, well, uh, the one caveat is you have to bring back uh, Larry Finch. And uh, Brown's like, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Carolina guy. I'm bringing Carolina guys with me to Memphis. Wow. And Murphy says, ah, sorry, have a nice day. And that, that's how we end up with Dana Kirk, right? So Dana Kirk is a, is a Danny Crum guy from Louisville, right? Uh, knows a lot about uh, Crum spent some time with John Wooden. And so, you know, it's an impressive resume that Dana Kirk, but really uh, he doesn't have the, the same name recognition that, that Larry Brown does. Which is interesting because now if you look at this past season, uh, who does Penny Hardaway bring up <laughs> the staff at, at, Memphis, at University of Memphis, right? He brings in who? Larry Brown. Larry Brown. There you go. So, I mean, I don't think a lot of uh, even avid Tiger fans are going to remember that, that Larry Brown was a serious candidate for the job in 79. And, in fact, if you bump up into the mid-90s when John Calipari takes the job, if you remember correctly, when Calipari interviews for the job, he had been an assistant with the Philadelphia 76ers under Larry, Larry Brown. Brown. Larry Brown was the one that urged John Calipari to come back to Memphis because of the basketball culture that Larry Finch built in the town. And, and he understood that. And uh, it, it's just these, these connections are always fun, right? And so it, it just what you talked about earlier how, how much of a basketball town is Memphis? Uh, it's very much so a basketball town, and these connections are fun. Absolutely, and they, the Larry Finch uh, Athletic Center also on the campus is la- named after Larry Finch, so uh, rightfully so. Um, right. So, you know, looking at uh, the history here of uh, what went on in the late 60s and early 70s, um, Larry Finch uh, had a great, great college career with the uh, Memphis State uh, Tigers. He averaged 22 points a game, and um, he was just – I watched the highlights a little bit last night of the 73 championship game against UCLA, and he was a a very good scorer, and he could could shoot jump shots. He was was phenomenal. It was way before my time, but uh, I did see uh, some of that, and it was incredible. He was a very, uh, very astute player. Well, you know, I think um, the, don't miss this. You know, when when Larry comes to Memphis State, let, let's put this into some context here. It's 1969, right? We've mentioned that it's the year after Martin Luther King was assassinated at Lorraine. Uh, he brings with him Ronnie Robinson, right? And so Ronnie Robinson is, is the the front court player, and uh, is his partner. That's that's his lifelong best friend, right? And so. Um, and in fact, uh, Larry makes it real clear to, uh, Iba, who's, uh, the, the head coach that recruits him in 69. He's like, I'm, I'm telling you, Ronnie can play, uh, bring him with me. And coach sales actually goes out on a limb and, and uh, Iba actually brings Ronnie over and Ronnie has a great career. Right. And so uh, I think that's important as well. I think don't miss this, that, um, when Larry decides to go to stay home at Memphis State, even though Mel, much of Melrose and Orange Mound is telling him not to, 
Um, he persuades his girlfriend, Vicki Stevens at the time. And she was actually contemplating moving to California with her sister to go to Memphis state. And, and so, I mean, that, that's huge because he's got his best friend. So he's got somebody on campus that understands him. And, uh, not only one, but when he brings his girlfriend, his uh, high school sweetheart, Vicki Stevens, who later becomes Vicki Finch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now he's got a girlfriend, right? And so if you're going to put this, contextualize this at the time in the 1960s, the Memphis State community doesn't have to worry about whether Larry Finch is trying to date interracially, right? And so, you know, he's got a he's got a, a group around him that can, you know, um, foster him, grow him, and allow him to be successful at a time when there weren't a lot of African-American students on campus at Memphis State. So I think those are our big things that sort of, you know, we might miss going by. Uh, you know, and, and like you said, uh, when he signed, he stayed at Memphis because he wanted his mother, Maple Finch, to, uh, to watch him play ball. So his family was there. He's, he remained uh, very closely connected uh, with the Melrose basketball team. There's tons of pictures in the commercial appeal of Finch going back into the community. And, you know, uh, the Memphis State boosters are, are you know, bringing him over. And, and he's, you've got this image of, of a young black man that has become iconic and he becomes a hero in the community. And it's a positive image. And at the time in the late 60s, early 70s, the city of Memphis needed uh, Larry Finch. How much was uh, uh, Coach Gene Bartow a uh, influence on um, uh, Larry Finch coming to Memphis State? It seems to me, uh, reading, looking at reading the book, that Coach uh, Bartow was a big influence uh, on him as well because of the style that he played. Right. So I think one thing that you have to take a look at: number one, Finch was recruited by Mo Iba, right? So you know his dad, um, his, uh, Iba's father, was a, a huge Oklahoma State guy and defensive guru writing college basketball. And Mo Iba ran a very slow-paced, methodical, uh, hardcore, defensive, in-your-face type of game. And, you know, uh, remember in 1969-70, Larry Finch and Johnny Newman, who ended up going to Ole Miss, are uh, forced by NCAA rules to play freshman basketball. And so, uh, in fact, more people were actually coming to the Coliseum to watch Finch play than they were the, the varsity team. And so that's the kind of excitement Finch bring, or brought to Memphis State. But then Mo Iba leaves, and then he's replaced by Gene Bartow, right? And so Gene Bartow comes in, a disciple of John Wooden, right? And he sort of allows Finch to, to flourish, right? So no longer are we going to play, you know, a 16-pass defensive struggle uh, style of basketball at Memphis State. Now we're getting up and down. And Bartow really lets Finch uh, go. He, he lets him, he gives him a green light, uh, lets him run the show, um, you know, distribute the basketball. Uh, he's got the green light to shoot the basketball. And, and, I, and I'm, that is what really allows uh, Memphis State to start making some, you know, progress in the Valley. The Valley's not a, a, a cupcake. You're talking about no. Florida State, Tech, Louisville. Uh, you're talking about some quality basketball programs. And uh, we're starting to make some noise. And really, Bartow not only allows Finch to flourish, he's very quiet, right? And so uh, Finch 
uh, if you check out the story of his career, never really took well to coaches that were in his face and loud. Uh, and in fact, if you watch Finch throughout his coaching career, that's that's not him. That's not his style. And so uh, I think the Bartow-Finch relationship um, really allowed Larry to become who he was meant to be. And uh, also, he was like I said earlier, he was a hard worker, and he never missed a class when he was at school. No. I, he was a just a uh, on and off the court, uh, just a hard worker. And it, you know, it basically when he was at uh, playing, he was just pretty much he was he, he had everything well, all everything together. I think sometimes what people miss when you start talking about what, what was the community like. You know, Orange Mountain was is a very strong community especially when you're talking about in the midst of segregation, right? So um, one of the things that happened at Melrose was that Larry's aunt was his English teacher. And it was well known when he was a freshman and sophomore that, that Larry had potential to be one of the best basketball players to come out of Melrose. And so what the community did is it put its arms around Larry and said, one, you're going to be able to read and write, and you're going to be able to speak. If you're going to play collegiate basketball, you're going to represent Orange Mound you're going to be able to communicate. And so uh, he, he got a very solid education. So when he got over to Memphis State, he was prepared for the rigors of a college education. And, you know, there, there wasn't – it was drilled into an early age. You know, you're going to work hard. That's not just on the basketball court. It's in the classroom as well. And I think that's important to understand that, that the community uh, nourished that in Finch and that, you know, was something that – as both a player and then later as a coach, he was, you know, Finch himself, when he coached, would walk into classrooms and check to see whether his guys were there. They knew wow. that coach himself would be there, right? So uh, this is who he is. And I think that's another, you know, the piece sometimes we miss. Because um, remember, Finch, when he gets to be head coach, is replacing Dana Kirk, gets us on NCAA probation, is putting money in a shoebox for Keith Lee, right? Keith mm-hmm. Lee's driving a car in Memphis. Rumor has he's driving another one over in West Memphis. And there's some shady stuff. And, and in the years that Larry Finch is coaching at Memphis State, there's not one NCAA infraction. Uh, the kids are graduating. The graduation uh, percentage skyrockets compared to under Dana Kirk, right? And so he does it the right way. And for me, that goes back to what Orange Mound did for, for Larry Finch back when he was in high school. It embedded these values, uh, this work ethic that you talk about and that you mentioned. You know, it's, it's not just on the basketball court. It's in the classroom. And I think that truly resonates and allows the city of Memphis to get behind and to embrace Larry Finch. So the Tigers get to the national championship game against Bill Walton and USCLA Bruins uh, in 73. And Bill Walton had that incredible game. I think he missed one shot. And uh, I'm going to play a couple of clips, the introductions, and just a quick clip here from the game. And we'll be back in about 30 seconds. Intimidating. 
So Larry Finch was uh, the last person to be player to be in, in uh, introduced in the game there. So he got the loudest applause. So that just shows you how big he was. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, in the city of Memphis. In fact, if we're if we're going to be honest, uh, Larry Keenan has a incredible. You know, spent just one year at Memphis State, gets us to the Final Four with Finch and Robinson, and and Larry Keenan has a big special K has a much better. NBA career and in fact as far as you know overall talent uh, at that point in time maybe Larry Keenan may have been the best Memphis State player to come out of the school um, but you know that being said even uh, Larry Keenan knows and understands uh, that that team was was Larry's team right so uh, he was the one who laid the foundation he was the one whose partner Ronnie Robinson was there and you know the city fed off of Larry Finch, right? And so, uh, you know, that, that season, that game that you're talking about, that game against uh, UCLA, um, you know, in, in the Elite Eight, when um, the Tigers come home, they're, they're on a plane ride home, and I believe it's from Houston, you know, and you go out to the, uh, the, the Memphis International Airport, and there's, there's between three and 5,000 people, fans at the airport, waiting for this team to land. Right. And so what an incredible scene that this city is at, at in 1973, um, so much behind uh, Finch. Right. And so, you know, like when you played that clip, I just got to give, give you goosebumps there, Rob. It does. I mean, just out, you know, um, and I was talking to a colleague of mine that I coached with, Matt Bakke, who uh, for years was at Millington, uh, a couple of guys in front of me and he's been at MUS. Uh, since then, as, as the head coach and as an assistant or uh, legendary coach Jerry Peters, he talks about going to that. If I'm not mistaken, he talks about going to that game. Like his parents got tickets that game. They drove up to St. Louis and they, they watched the game that was there. I mean, like this city just got together, whether they, you know, drove to St. Louis or they had watch parties in East Memphis mm-hmm. or Orange Mound. Anybody that was connected to Memphis State was watching that game, and that became a piece uh, of, of of the city. It's a piece of the history. And, and, you know, I think one of my favorite parts of this book is, is I've interviewed people, and even after, you know, like what we're talking about, you know, right now, after the book has been published, everybody in Memphis has got a story about where they were at some point in time. Like even when you're talking about being back in Boston and you remember in Keith Lee, you know, in the city of Memphis, the folks that have been here since the 60s and 70s, when you mention Memphis State, they're going to say Larry Finch. And um, it just speaks so much to, you know, speaks to how much Finch means to the city. Yeah, he does. He does still to this day. So Larry Finch, uh, after the national championship game, he is uh, – you think he would have a pro career. He gets drafted in the fourth round when they had the fourth round back in those days in the NBA. He gets drafted by the Lakers and decides not to play, and then he ends up trying to play for the ABA. And wh- Why didn't the Professional Basketball League here in Memphis pick up when uh, Larry Finch was here? Right. So, um, first, you know, it's, it's interesting. When he gets drafted by the uh, the Lakers, right, so he's, he's having to come back. I mean, Pat Riley is still on the bench. And you want to talk about a guy that had an incredible career, right? Rubs runs. And uh, he's out there. And um, Jerry West is still, uh, you know, hanging on at the, you know, twilight years. You know, he's sort of winding down his NBA career. But there just wasn't going to be a spot 
for for bench. Remember, the NBA is much smaller. When you talk about the 1970s uh, NBA, you haven't had to merge with the ABA. And so uh, he ends up coming back home. And the ABA has been been in Memphis for a couple of years, right? It's not really popular. Uh, Charles Finley tried to purchase the team uh, early seventies, and and you know try to you know change the colors to you know end up being like the Oakland Athletics, where it's green and yeah, it's really wild. Um, <clears throat> in fact, what runs uh, Charlie Finley out of the ABA is we actually the Memphis Pams actually drafted. Uh, special K. We drafted Larry Keenan, right? And so they and, and understood that Larry was going to have a Keenan was going to have a great uh, professional career. Um, but in a unique twist of the ABA, the ABA held a second draft, and then the New York Nets stole Larry Keenan, and in uh, in revolt uh, to dispute that, Charles Finley just leaves the organization high and dry. He just stops putting money into the organization. The season's still being played. It's, it's just a really crazy story. And then the, um, uh, the commissioner uh, of Storen, Mike Storen of the ABA, resigns his position as commissioner and then comes in and tries to re- resuscitate the ABA franchise. We change hands to the, to the sound, which is what most people remember our ABA team as, right? Um, it's really interesting, you know, when you start taking a look at it, when Memphis State and even Larry Finch and, and Johnny Newman are packing the Mid-South Coliseum out, uh, the same basketball with the same players. Johnny Newman uh, plays in Memphis for a little bit uh, right after getting out of Ole Miss uh, following his sophomore season. And, you know, Johnny Newman can't pack out the Mid-South Coliseum. Wow. Larry Finch team for a little bit. Um, Johnny Newman leaves. Ronnie Robinson is brought back in. Uh, both of those guys are on the team and, and no one's coming to watch them. And so it's at a time where <clears throat> the city of Memphis actually is is focusing more on this um, World Football League team. They're the Memphis Grizzlies. If, uh, you know, diehard Memphis fans will remember the old Memphis Grizzlies playing at the Liberty Bowl. And, you know, we had uh, Zonk and Kick, you know, uh, right. uh, that team from the Dolphins are going to make their way uh, to Memphis. And, at the time, the city of Memphis was putting more money and more support behind professional football. You know, the uh, rah-rah for good old state, you worked for basketball, but not so much for um, for professional basketball, right? And so, Larry, and in fact, I've got to remember the guy's name, the, the coach, I think it's Van Bredikoff, uh, is the coach of the, the sounds uh, when Larry's here. And he is not a quiet guy like Gene Bartow. He is in your face. And that doesn't really fly well with, with Finch. It didn't work well for him. They didn't really gel. And if you look at his ABA career, I think Finch had like one game where he had like 28 or 32. Wow. He, he never really uh, is allowed to flourish uh, in the ABA like he did at Memphis State under Bartow. Wow, that's incredible that the, the ABA really never took off here in Memphis considering it was a you know a basketball city with, uh, obviously, the Memphis State Tigers. So Penny Hardaway, uh, Penny Hardaway uh, Larry Finch, he, uh, after um, his uh, playing career is over in professional basketball, he decides to go into coaching. And where did he start coaching uh, with? I think he hooked up with Gene Bartow, didn't he? Right. Actually, he spends one year uh, coaching high school basketball in the city of Memphis. And then Gene Bartow 
uh, persuades Finch to go down to UAB. And uh, so he's down there at UB, UAB. I think he's there for two years. Um, I know in like 78, 79, um, the, uh, the, one of the star players in the city is, is Bubba Luckett over at Christian Brothers High School. And uh, he, he, he talked uh, when, when I interviewed Bubba. Uh, he talked about being recruited by Larry Finch uh, over at UAB. And in fact, Verdi Sales was with Wayne Yates at uh, Memphis State. And, and, and Bubba makes the decision to uh, go over and play at Memphis State, like most Memphis kids, right? You want to play at Memphis State. But I think in, in the middle of this, uh, Bubba talked about knowing that there, there were rumors around town that, that Spook Murphy was going to make sure that, that Larry comes back home. As much as we love Gene Bartow and all that he does, he only hangs out in Memphis for a year after the uh, 73 finals, and then he makes his way to Illinois. Uh, jumps out to UCLA. He's actually the the guy that replaces John Wooden at UCLA. Wow. That didn't work out too well for him, and then he comes back to UAB. And uh, you know, like like I said, like you know, just brings Larry Finch down there. And you know, you got this really interesting dynamic going on that Larry Finch is coming into the city of Memphis and he's getting players. And you know, Spook Murphy saw that. You know, this is Memphis. Let's get our boy Larry Finch back home. And let's keep let's put a fence up around the city and make sure that Memphis's best talent is staying home and playing for the Tigers. So Larry Finch is an assistant coach, and then he becomes the head coach of the Tigers after Dana Kirk is let go. And uh, Larry Finch had a huge influence when he first started coaching with the Tigers, getting those Memphis players here to play for Memphis right. State. And uh, he was very successful as a head coach, head coach especially his first few years. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about his uh, career starting out in uh, when he got the job at Memphis State. Well, when you when you take a look at uh, Larry Finch and then and turning becoming the school's first African American head coach, and in fact, uh, he becomes the first African American head coach in the South. Right, so. Uh, Wade Houston up at, at Tennessee is the first African-American coach in the SEC. And so, uh, and this is six years in front of that, right? So uh, what an accomplishment, right? So Memphis is really at the forefront uh, of this racially. And I think that's there to be commended for that. Um, it's interesting when Dana Kirk is let go, it's a really interesting, right? So there was the 84 final four, uh, he gets the 85 season, but the, uh, the 84, 85 season, lots of noise around the program and pending NCAA investigation, probation. Uh, the NAACP is looking at graduation rates. And in fact, in the Memphis basketball program, since Gene Bartow through, uh, Dana Kirk, there are only four guys that have graduated in the basketball program and all four of them are white. Not a single African-American student athlete in the basketball program has graduated. Um, this creates a problem, right? So you've got the issues that are going on. And then um, when, when it all hits the fan, uh, Kurt goes down, right? Um, and, you know, for the, it, I'm trying to, I've got to figure out how to frame this. What exactly did he go down on? And so I, and I have to think, uh, a little deeper. I have to go back and double check that. But with the NCAA investigation, he ends up um, the, the university uh, fires him in September, 
Well, you know, colleges go back to school in August, right? So if we focus on that part, right, the fact that now Dana Kirk is done, the school year has already begun. How many big-time college coaches are actually out there on the board for Memphis to get, right? And so Finch has been an assistant under Dana Kirk. And, uh, you know, I think one of the, the my favorite stories when you talk about keeping kids home is the Andre Turner, right? Andre Turner goes. Mitchell Heights, or excuse me, Barry Finch goes into Mitchell Heights to get Andre Turner, and he goes to Andre Turner's house. And then first what he does is he has Andre come out to the car, come on out to the car, son. And you can, you know, there, there's a great article in Commercial Appeal that uh, Turner says that Finch pretty much laid it on the ground. He said, son, you're from Memphis. You're going to play at Memphis. There's no way to your butts, <laughs> and you're going to play for me. And in so many words, I think Andre kept a few of the other words to himself, uh, as you know, Coach Finch was keeping it real. Uh, but then the other thing that Larry does is he goes back into the um, house, into, into Andre's house. He's down with Mrs. Turner and says, ma'am, when, when this is done, I guarantee you that Andre will have a four-year degree. He'll graduate, and I will take care of your son. And, and it's Finch's understanding of the importance of the black woman uh, in the in the family, the black family in the city of Memphis, right? Because of his own relationship with his mother, Maple Finch, mm-hmm. and uh, understanding those dynamics. I think that's key to understanding Finch. He was going to do it the right way. And, you know, when, when Larry walked into your house and he told your mother and your mother felt good about that, where else are you going to go, right? Like, who else is going to, you know, and I think that's really, you know, gets us to understanding Larry Finch. Now, remember, his, his first year, they have a great year uh, coming out of the gates. And in fact, they win. Uh, I'm not thinking, it's not the Valley, all right? Uh, and, the Metro uh, Conference? So they win the Metro Conference. And they can't go to the NCAA tournament because they're still on probation. Uh, but the university is very forthright with the NCAA. So instead of being two years on probation, they're down on one year. And so, you know, uh, Finch's second year, they're right back into uh, the NCAA tournament, right? And so Finch repeatedly takes the Tigers to uh, the tournament, right? And so we can look at a couple of big years uh, while he's coaching, you know, Penny Hardaway's junior year. Uh, yes. There's make a serious run in the NCAA tournament and uh, they're actually opening uh, the season up down at the pyramid against uh, perennial power, Arkansas and David Vaughn blows his knee out. Right. And so uh, the Tigers underachieve and at the end of the season, uh, you know, Penny's torn. Penny wants to stay because he understands that Finch's, ultimate goal is to get the Tigers back to the final four to the championship game. And as a coach, do what he couldn't do as a player. And that's bring a national championship home to Memphis. But the unselfishness of Larry Finch, he looks Penny square in the eye and said, son, you're going to get drafted. You're going to make a lot of money. I'm not keeping you here at Memphis so that we can win a national championship game when you can go to the NBA and have an incredible career. Now just think about that. Now, uh, how many head coaches would have taken care of, a guy like Penny and said, you know what? And this is at a time when a lot of guys jumping wasn't, uh, you know, what it is today, right? The portal and who's coming out early. It was, it was much rarer 
in the nineties for, for a, a student athlete to, to go out to the NBA to come out early. Right. right? And so uh, there's that year. And then a couple of years later, right. They've got Lorenzen, right. They've got Cedric Henderson. They're both going to have great NBA careers. And then what happens, they end up facing um, the shack of the knack, right. Malik Rose. Rose. Right. So in, in a, awkward situation and they, the Tigers just don't come out and play up to their potential and, and Malik Rose has the game of his life and ends up getting an NBA contract you know um, Larry the, the team doesn't play under 500 with Larry Finch regardless of injuries or what have you uh, the, the one knock is they just don't get past the Elite Eight that, that's the closest that Finch gets to the Final Four and so the fan base in, in a really ironic twist almost turns on Finch a little bit because they expect to be in the final four, right? Uh, anything less is unacceptable. And although Finch is running a clean program, guys are graduating uh, at a much higher percentage. Um, you know, the NCAA is not even sniffing around here. The program's clean. He, he's just not getting the job done. So here's, you know, in a very awkward situation, ESPN, is now uh, showing more games on TV, so there's less people going down to the Pyramid. Uh, the Pyramid is not the Mid-South Coliseum, not the same place that uh, Finch grew up in uh, as a player. And, uh, you know, it, it's not working economically as well as the university or the city would like. And so there's a number of reasons why the, uh, the city and the school turns its back on um, – on Finch. So that's really, it's an interesting story, but it's sad at the same time, right? Cause here's this hero uh, that's brought the city together, but at the same time, uh, the university sees itself as a, you know, uh, should be a little bit higher. And so uh, unfortunately Larry Finch gets fired um, from the job in 97. And it's interesting if you read the articles in the commercial appeal when he gets fired in 97, over half the articles talk about how much of an iconic figure that Larry Finch is. I mean, it's, it's crazy, <laughs> right? You're firing the guy, yeah. but you're talking about how great of a hero he is. And it's, it's only in Memphis could you find something like that, right? Only, only in Memphis because other press would, other uh, forms of press around the country at that time would be all over it and, you know, lash out. And you had spoken about um, his coaching career. He was 220 wins and 130 losses at Memphis State. He was uh, that first year they were ineligible. They went twenty six and eight, which was, I think that's a remarkable record considering you're under uh, violations for for to get that first year under his belt and have that record. I think that really showed what kind of a coach he was because I don't think it let it bother him that they were uh, under violation. And you had mentioned earlier that uh, Penny Hardaway had come to Memphis early in the early nineties and. Penny Hardaway uh, went on to have a great NBA career, and uh, he's now coaching at the Memphis University of Memphis now. And uh, Penny's sophomore year, he was uh, phenomenal. They went 23-11 and in 91-92, and then they uh, lost in the first round in the 92-93 tournament. And how important was Larry Finch to Penny Hardaway? Because Penny Hardaway, kind of see the way he coaches. He doesn't get in players' faces. Um, 
looking at it from afar, it don't, I don't see that when I see Penny Hardaway uh, coaching the Tigers. Right. So I think, you know, one thing for this is if you remember correctly, when Penny comes out of high school at Treadwell, he's, you know, a parade All-American. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he may be the first parade All-American in the city. Right. And so everybody and their brother is coming in and there's there's a competition. There's a war. Right. For talent. And Nolan Richardson, 40 minutes of hell over on the other side of the river in Arkansas right. had. Uh, Dwight Stewart out of Fairley, Todd Day out of Hamilton, Corey Beck out of Fairley. You know, you've got some, you know, they, no one's starting to make some inroads in Memphis recruiting, right? And so at this point in time, and they're going to win a national championship, and this is the one thing Finch has never done. Finch has got to put this fence up. He's got to keep, he's got to keep Penny Hardaway home. And he does that. You know, he's able to convince Penny. Now, one thing that happens with Penny is Penny's going to be ineligible his freshman year. The, the NCAA had just put in uh, Proposition 48. And if you remember correctly, John Thompson at Georgetown University has threatened to sit out and not coach until the NCAA uh, uh, addresses this issue. Uh, because, you know, Proposition 48, if we're honest, is attacking African-American student-athletes. Right. They're saying that these black kids that are going to see mainly urban schools don't have the ACT and SAT scores uh, required to get into school. And Thompson's like, look, and, you know, John Thompson goes out of his way to argue against that. Now, Larry Finch, on the other hand, is quiet. And so what he does is he he brings Penny in and he says, Penny, you're going to sit. You're going to sit for the first year. I'm going to take care of you. You can't practice with the team. You're going to go to class every day. You're going to get the lesson. You're going to prove that you can be here. And and if you remember correctly, um, Penny, in a, in, a, in a moment where he goes back into the neighborhood, gets shot in the foot, right? And once again, Finch calls him into the office, said, okay, that, that wasn't really a, a good move there, Anferty. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to keep it quiet. Um, we're going to get you the surgery you need. We're going to get you, re, you know, rehabilitated. And everything was very quiet and calm. Like, Finch did not make noise. He, he wasn't loud. He wasn't in your face. He, he wasn't making noise in the media. He wasn't John Thompson, um, which many people reviewed you know, like as the angry black coach. That's not Finch. And mm-hmm. so Finch's ability to, to be a father figure to, to Anthony, to Petty, is, is huge. And, and then the reward for that is Penny just comes out and has phenomenal right sophomore and junior year and uh you know it is just making waves and the argument i think is fairly strong if david vaughn doesn't blow out his knee in that arkansas game um maybe the tigers do get a chance to go back and and get to the final four and possibly national championship but when you talk about what did finch do for for penny and and i think that's it you know he just was a father figure he said you're going to do it the right way you made a mistake we're going to take care of it and then just supported penny even so much as going you know what it's time for you to go to the nba it's you you've done everything you can do here at memphis state uh just turned u of m and it's time for you to go and he did right so um to me when, when you talk about finch like recently you know there was um you know when he when he cried when they won the NIT tournament, right? Cause they won the national championship, the NIT. 
And, you know, even though it's the, the second tier championship, one of the first things he did was he gave an NIT championship ring to Vicky Finch. That's awesome. Now, why would you do that, right? Because you do that because you understand where you come from, right? You understand what Larry Finch did for you, and now you're doing this for your university. Just think about all the, you know, a lot of the things that happened with Penny. You know, when you watch Penny, you know, you hear this all the time. Well, he doesn't really know what he's doing, X's and O's. Uh, they run practice like an AAU. And you can come up with all of these stereotypes that they throw at Penny Hardaway and, you know, claim that he can't coach. This is a, a young man. A, he can coach. B, he's played at the highest level. He comes from a coaching tree um, that goes all the way back to John Wooden. And, you know, you can take Penny Hardaway's coaching tree. Here's a good one for you, Rob. Follow this. If Penny played for Larry Finch, Larry Finch played for Verdi Sales. Verdi Sales played for Jerry Johnson over at LeMoyne Owen University. And then Jerry Johnson learned the game from John McClendon of Tennessee State fame. And John McClendon learned the game from James Naismith. Wow. Right? When these naysayers tell me that Penny Hardaway is, does not know how to coach, I don't think they know their history. And so, um, you know, it's just not understanding the game. And you want Penny to be something that he's not. He's going to be himself. And to be honest, Rob, does he really need Memphis State's money or University of Memphis money right now in his life? No, he doesn't. And I think I think when you see Penny Hardaway coach on the sidelines, you don't see. I think you see a lot of Larry Finch. He doesn't really get uh, he doesn't really get rattled. He really never got rattled when he played in the NBA. And I think right. when you see him on the sidelines and the way he talks to players, he may get on them, but I don't think he disrespects them or yells in their face. And I think that's what translates for him get recruiting uh, the the caliber of player he's getting now, even though they're under, you know, possible NCAA violations. He's getting transfers in there for people for players to come play for him. And I don't think very many coaches in the NCAA basketball tree around the country could even think of doing that. No, and I think really what you have is, is it's about relationships, right? That's what made Finch such an incredible coach at, at Memphis State, and that's what makes Penny Hardaway, is the relationships. And, you know, he has something that, that Finch did, right? So Penny has a, an all-star NBA career, right? And if his knee doesn't blow out and he doesn't go down, you know, when he's playing way too much in Orlando after Shaq leaves, <clears throat> plausibly could have been in, all, in a Hall of Fame candidate, right? So that being said, what a, a great career. Uh, I think he handles the media a little more adeptly than Finch does because of his experience in the NBA, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, even when he went after Jeff Calkins, that was, that was a little bit of, okay, if you really want to see who I am, here's who I am. And you can come at me if you want to, but I'm still that. And I think the, the kids appreciate that. You know, his ability to, to work that. But then the relationships he builds, he's, I've been to where you want to be. Come to Memphis and I can help you get where you need to be. You know, a, a lot of a lot of the, uh, um, the violations when people are looking in a program, a lot of that has to do, I, I think, with a, a little bit with um, when Penny signs James Wiseman, who mm-hmm. was headed to and, you know, why does Wiseman sign with, with Memphis? Well, that's because Penny got the job, right? Here, here's an example of Penny being, once again, just like Larry Finch. And so now, you know, the Kentucky people are a little sore, and there's a little bit of money over there in the Bluegrass State, right? So 
and, and our good friend John Calipari, who bolted Memphis and headed up to Kentucky, was right in on Wiseman, and, and he loses uh, Wiseman. I think that is uh, some sour grapes, right? So, you know, unfortunately, that's part of the business side of it and uh, you know we're catching the backlash of that right now um i think that'll clear itself up but i mean penny does it the right way he's not you know he's he may not be larry finch in that essence but he's not doing anything that anybody else like a calipari or somebody is not doing and so, uh, you know, I just think it's ridiculous when they attack penny and stuff like that yeah i agree and penny hardaway it I, I just for the proximity of Memphis basketball, I think Penny Hardaway is is a unique situation or circumstance because he has all the money he has from NBA endorsements with Nike and other things. He doesn't right. need the money, and if he wanted to give money to the university back then as a as a donor, then that's way before he came coach. I don't see where the where the logic is in that, but that's just me. I I don't know all the facts, but. Um, it's a unique situation here in Memphis with the team. Right. So, um, so we're speaking about Penny Hardaway and the influence that Larry Finch had. But when you think about Penny Hardaway, you think about you know his playing career. But it just shows you like Memphis is just trans. You know, like Penny Hardaway transcends basketball. He is little Penny. He had the little Penny uh, commercials in the nineties, which were a huge, huge success. Oh, and he, he was he was tapped to be the next Michael Jordan. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, when Nike put um, those Chris Rock little penny ads together, that just changes basketball. It just changes the game. And what it does is it puts Memphis on the map, permanently puts Memphis on the map. Because when you talk about where is Penny Hardaway from, it's him. He's from Memphis. Yep. Right. And so I think, you know, and, and, and Penny's a really quiet kid. But, you know, I don't call the kid, we're the same age. We both graduated from high school in 1990. Um, but Penny's just a quiet guy. He's rather reserved. Now, you can get him on the basketball court and his personality will come out. And I think, you know, like we talked about with Jeff Calkins, if you attack him, the program, or Larry Finch, you're going to catch, you can catch that side of him too. But for the most part, you know, he's the, you know, the face of the program. Who else would you want as the face of your program in the city of Memphis? Yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And when you speak about uh, the sneaker contract in the eighties and nineties, I, I could only name four or five players without even going on the internet about the sneaker contract. Michael Jordan was in his own little stratosphere with the Nike commercials. The other ones were Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal, and Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway transcended basketball. Very few athletes do that. And, um, I went back and looked on YouTube. There was a commercial that came out in 1997 for Super Bowl 31, and it was right. a Super Bowl party. And if you look on it, I went on when I watched it. It's a minute commercial. He had A-listers in this commercial with Little Penny. It was David Robinson, George Gervin, who played for the Spurs, Barry Sanders, who was at the peak of the, his NFL career, Ken Griffey Jr. at the peak of his MLB career, Olympian Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Sergey Fedorov was one of the top three players in the NHL, Spike Lee and Stevie Wonder. And I read an article when they were asking these people, Penny had said that not one person turned it down. So you're talking A-listers coming to this commercial for Penny Hardaway. 
I mean, that's how much Memphis was on the map then and still is now, but it just shows you how he transcended basketball. He does. And I think that's important for us to, to remember, right? Like, let's not get lost in all this win loss and, you know, what is he doing with the program? You know, he is one of the most iconic figures of the 1990s NBA, right? So uh, you're not even talking just the NBA, right? You just said a list of A-listers you just listed there, right? So Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Stevie Wonder, I mean, Barry Sanders, you're talking about a who's who of anybody in culture, right? He's a cultural icon. And, you know, this goes back to, you know, what if Larry Finch doesn't put his arm around him when he's a freshman? He goes somewhere else and, you know, he just drops out and comes back home, right? So it just speaks to the relationships that Finch built and that allowed a kid like Penny Hardaway to flourish. And so now Penny is doing what Finch did for him. He's giving back to these kids. And he's doing it for his city, right? At, at a time, if you think about it, remember in 1973 when Larry Finch played at Memphis, was in the middle of our busing saga, right? Um, there, there's the huge issue. Wyatt Chandler one day is supporting uh, the Tigers' run to the NCAA tournament in the Final Four, and then the next day he's back in Memphis talking about uh, we're not going to let these white kids go into a segregated school, uh, a desegregated school in the ghetto. Right. So then Penny uh, is now the coach uh, of the university when we're going through this, a very similar struggle. Right. History's echoing. The uh, the city schools gave up their charter. Now you've got the Memphis Shelby County schools and then you have like six municipalities and, and some of the very same issues that we faced in 1973 we're facing today. But what both Finch and what Hardaway are doing is on any given Saturday, whether you're at the Mid-South Coliseum or you're at the FedEx Forum, the city comes together behind basketball. And and Penny is doing the same thing that Finch did, both as a player and as a coach, bringing the city together uh, behind the basketball, which I think is incredible. And people shouldn't miss that. I agree. I agree. And I forgot one more person who was in that commercial. It was Tiger Woods at the beginning of his uh, PGA career. So Tiger Woods is in the commercial is sitting next to Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, you don't get a more a list than that. So, um, so th- there's a few uh, wow moments for me in this book when I was reading it. And uh, for me, it was how, um, you know, Larry Finch, the person was able to uh, galvanize the city. Um, I always knew Larry Finch at, hit as he played for the Tigers in the early 70s and more of a coach, but the deep um, appreciation he had for the city of Memphis and uh, Memphis State, um, even after he got fired, was really, um, he didn't hold any grudges from what I gather, number one, and um, also really like the uh, the near-empty crowds that if you had Johnny Newman and Larry Finch on the same team for the professional, I find that really... Um, really shocking when they packed uh, the high school game and they would pack college, uh, the, the arenas they played in. Uh, when you were writing the book, um, were there any things that you figured out that, Hey, wow, this is something I didn't know that made you put it into perspective. Well, I'll tell you what, I think there's one thing that we haven't talked about yet. I, I think I've alluded to it a little bit. Um, I really had an opportunity to sit down with some of the Lemoyne Owen basketball players from 1975. Right. So, most Memphians even today don't know where Lemoyne Owen 
uh, colleges over in South Memphis, you know, Walker Avenue. And, you know, you just, you're talking about uh, a small HBCU, but they won the national championship. They won the inaugural Division Three national championship. And there's very little fanfare. You know, Wyatt Chandler comes out. He gives the uh, the guys the key to the city. But, you know, it's, it's just a political moment. There's really, you know, it's not the 5,000 people at the airport. Um, you know, and here are two Memphis guys, um, Clint Jackson and uh, Robert Newman, uh, who both graduated from Hamilton High School that come home. And, you know, Jerry Johnson is a legend in the city in the middle of writing this book. Uh, Coach Johnson celebrated his 100th birthday. And when he did that, the keynote speaker at his 100th birthday was the newly named University of Memphis basketball coach, Penny Hardaway. Wow. So Penny understood it. And, you know, Penny knows that Larry played for Verdi. Verdi played for Jerry. And, you know, that, that, that connection, right, understanding where he comes from, and, you know, unfortunately, when you talk about Lemoyne Owen, that can be a lot of guys from that 75 team were there at that 100th birthday party. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, Rob, there were not, not a lot of guys that looked like you and me. You know, it was predominantly a HBCU crowd, right? Predominantly African-American communities. And there were only a handful of guys, which is sad because in this city, the Lemoyne Owen story uh, should have so much more connection right here is a national championship that Lemoyne Owen brought back home to Memphis but it doesn't get the same recognition right and I understand that you know uh you know as a smaller today it says division two um you know but you got Bonzi Wells over there right you got Penny Hardaway over at the University of Memphis and mm-hmm. Bonzi Wells over there at Lemoyne Owen and um you know th- those guys talk to each other all the time how many times did you see um Penny Hardaway or, um, oh, shoot, what can I, uh, was it not, is it Rasheed Wallace? Not as Rasheed right. Wallace. Uh, yeah, go over to uh, Lemoyne Owen, right? And so they're, they're having conversations. Those guys know, they get it. Um, but sometimes those fans forget that. So for me, the aha moment um, was just putting that Lemoyne Owen conversation, which is why I think it's so important. And to be honest, that's my favorite chapter in the whole book. I loved writing that. I uh, love telling that story that nobody knew about. And, um, yeah, I think it, for me that would definitely be it. Yeah, Jerry Johnson, they won the national championship in 74-75. And I remember when I was reading it that they had played that their basketball uh, field house or their uh, their gym only fits 2,000. They played to pack crowds every game. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about um, – yeah, and they played in a league – the um, BSAC league, which was a predominantly white league. They were the only all black school. So they're going to um, Carson Newman, Lambeth, Bethel, uh, CBC, Christian Brothers College, right? So then um, they, they had actually gone, they were in the NAIA. And I think this is an interesting story that in the 1970s, if you remember correctly, the NCAA did not have a monopoly over college sports. And in fact, the preeminent black colleges in this country, Tennessee State, was winning NAIA national championships because through the majority of the 60s, schools like the the SEC and the ACC weren't going to play NCAA tournament games against integrated teams. Mm -hmm. And so as the NAIA and the NCAA are competing for 
uh, universities to be part of their association, uh, the NCAA creates a Division Two and a Division Three uh, to lure small schools from the NAIA into the NCAA to create that monopoly. Now, Rob, you and I know that the NCAA is not just about the money in any way, shape, or form. They would never do anything no, like that, right? Never, so, never. Right. So, uh, you know, that's part of it. You know, it, it's about having control financially. And they do that. They lure um, LeMoyne in. LeMoyne had been very successful, won the VSAC a number of years in a row, yet they kept running into Kentucky State, which has 20,000 students. And uh, you're talking about LeMoyne Owen has 1,500. And so how could they compete? And so here was a, an opportunity for them to compete in the inaugural Division Three championship, and, and they did. And not only did they compete, but they won the whole thing. And they brought the hardware back to Memphis, which for me, uh, even in the midst of this NCAA and NAIA uh, war for institutions in control of college athletics, it speaks volumes um, to how important basketball was and is to the city of Memphis. Yeah, it, 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 Memphis is known for the Memphis State now, the University of Memphis, but uh, basketball is much deeper than that when we just talked about Lemoyne Owen College. Um, well, this has just been a phenomenal hour uh, that I've had a chance to talk to you, Dr. Keith Wood, mm. and uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, being my first guest on my first episode, and um, I really appreciate your time. And one more question. How long, how long did it take you to put the book together and the research? I meant right. to ask you that early on, but the research and writing the book, how did that all encapsulate? Well, here, here's what it is. So um, when I was working on my dissertation at the University of Memphis, my directing professor had done a, an article on one city. and He just chronicled the 1973 season. And he was asking a lot of the same questions I asked. Now, what he said was, he said, Keith, you coached high school basketball in this city. When I call and we have these conversations, I'm talking about I'm Dr. Aaron Gutsusian, an academic. You know, they, they don't really know who I am. But if you call up and you and you say, well, I'm Coach Wood. And I, I actually was able to have some great conversations. Uh, you know, there's like a three-hour conversation with Verdi Sales on his like 74th birthday at a Piccadilly over on Elvis Presley, right? So mm -hmm. because of those relationships, I was able to get in the door and uh, develop uh, the storyline uh, deeper. Uh, as a coach, as someone that was inside. And I think that's where this comes from. Uh, originally, Rob, I was actually co contemplating working on a, uh, my dissertation was going to be about the Memphis Red Sox. And so ironically, uh, that's the book I'm working on right now. And so somebody had actually done that dissertation at the University of Memphis. So I had to have something new. And uh, so I ended up going with Larry Finch and then taking that one storyline from 73 and then expanding that uh, to the 69 MIAA City Championship game and then running all the way through uh, to when Larry has let go as the head coach in 97. So how long did it take me? Probably about a five-year project. Wow. Right? So, and, you know, about five years and a labor of love. I mean, you're talking about uh, I scrapped two or three ideas for chapters and, you know, merge some things. And then when the book went to the publisher up at UT, uh, I want to say thank you to the University of Tennessee Publishing. Um, ironically, it's UT publishing a book about Memphis State, right? Um, but uh, we added uh, an epilogue on the epilogue on, on Penny Hardaway and his importance 
to Memphis basketball. Some of the things we just mentioned at the end of the the, the conversation. So, yeah, about about between about five years would be a, a really good number. But man, it's been a labor of love, and I would do it all again in a heartbeat. Well, I'll tell you what, it is a terrific book. I really enjoyed reading it, and I would encourage anybody who wants to learn more about Memphis basketball during that time and the whole encapsulation of everything that was going on, um, Memphis Hoops would definitely be the top book to read because it gives you a lot of insight and feel like you're a fly on the wall some of these uh, stories in the book. So, Dr. Keith Wood, thank you so much for – taking time today to uh, talk to us about this. And uh, when the Memphis Red Sox books come out, I'm going to give you another call. Hey, I'll be here. I look forward to another great conversation, Rob. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I'm going to stay uh, real quick. I'm going to just, uh, just stop recording.